0: infants on thrones, the philosophies of men mingled with humans, we are
1: the core. After your faith has let you down, look for the good in everything, look for the people who will set your soul free. It always seems impossible until it's done. Look for the good in everyone.
2: Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. I'm Glenn Ostland and this is episode 690, Religion Schmreligion. The best worst thing to ever happen never. Which is what I'm calling this episode because it tickles me. You know how some people think that religion is just a net negative, that it's totally bad, or at least mostly bad, and that the world would be a much better place without it? Maybe you're one of them. And you know how other people think that religion is a net positive? That it's totally good, or at least mostly good, and the world is a better place for having it than if it didn't? I put myself in that camp since religion is essentially a set of traditional man-made beliefs, symbols, stories, customs, explanations about the nature of reality and the purpose or meaning of life, and codes of cooperative behavior that people hold to be so important to the point that they call it sacred, and since it's impossible for me to imagine a world where such a thing does not exist. I know Sorry, John. Religion isn't the problem. Intolerance is. Lack of love is. Exclusion is. Dogma is. And the best way to get rid of those things is to first get rid of them in ourselves. Well, today I sit down once again with Selu Alofipo. Last time I interviewed him for Infants on Thrones, that was episode 677. And this time, Lou interviews me for his podcast, Think on Your Faith to discuss the danger of religion. And you know what? There is a survey on the website, infantsonthrones.com, for you to weigh in on your thoughts on religion if you want to. I'd love to hear what you think about it and would love to know what you think about today's episode with Luke. So go take a few minutes to fill out the survey. But now I give you Salu Alofipo, his podcast, Think on Your Faith, in our conversation about religion shmreligion, religion you try and say that 5 times fast
0: religion religion
3: religion 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 emancipate yourselves from mental slavery none but ourselves can free our minds greetings my free thinking brothers and sisters hope you've had a fantastic week I hope you found some good in the world, and I hope you've taken some steps to get yourself one step closer to shaking your servile prejudices and begin seeing the world for what it actually is. I am Selu Alofipo, your always intrepid host, and I welcome you as we get ready to raise your consciousness. Alright, welcome back friends. This is episode 9, and I could not be more excited to have my good buddy Glenn Oslin here with us today. Uh, Glenn, he's going to be a lot of fun. I think you'll find that he's got some very interesting views on life and faith and spirituality. Um, Glenn has, um, has a very successful podcast himself. It's called Infants on Thrones and it's been up since 2012. He's got a huge following. Uh, so I would recommend that you uh, give that a listen and um, uh, get, the, get the Infants on Thrones experience. Uh, but Glenn is not only a good buddy of mine, but he's also he's also been a very good mentor for me as I started to uh, go down this path of podcasting. Um, so I really appreciate the the help and and uh, the the mentorship that he's offered me since I've started this journey. It's good to see you again, Glenn. Yeah, good to see you too. I,
2: I'm. Uh, I hope today works out.
3: <laughs> I, th- I think it will. You know, good. actually. So we, we got back, um, to tell you real quick, we got back from uh, Salt Lake late last night. Um, my wife had some business there and I went and rode a bike out there um, on a trail that I haven't rode in a year. Got into a little bit of a spill. I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty darn embarrassed, man. Is that why
2: you're wearing a red hooded sweatshirt in well, the I'm middle of August? I'm wearing a red
3: hooded sweatshirt because I'm freezing in this office. I can't get the really? day in control to, to turn down. Oh, man. So, anyway, I just had to get caught up. But anyway, we got back late last night, and I completely forgot that I had planned with my daughter that we would uh, take her to uh, uh, take her out and eat. Her birthday's tomorrow, and we decided to celebrate it today. But it works out perfectly because they, they're they still a little groggy, and they slept in, so they want to wait until they work up an appetite. So it's perfect. It's going to work okay. out great. So All right. Anyway, you've been busy, man. Holy crap. I have, yeah. Dude, oh, my gosh. Yeah. I cannot believe. I've listened to your – I didn't listen to the sixth episode, but I, of, of your, uh, bathing with God, but man. The
2: reality of fictions was the, the chapter that, um, posted earlier today. Yeah. Uh, so that I, that I think one I you probably haven't one. heard.
3: That's, that's the, that's, that was like the 19 minute, minute version, right?
2: Maybe. Yeah. So, crazy. so the last, the last chapter that came was the fiction of fictions. That's <laughs> chapter three in the book. And then chapter yeah. four is the reality of fictions and.
3: Well, that is super fun, man. I, I listened to your uh, first four episodes as we were crossing the plains of Wyoming <laughs> to oh, take yeah. my daughter to Iowa last week. Yeah. And I got to tell you, man, that thing kept me up. Like your, your podcast kept my mind awake.
0: Did it? Is <laughs> oh, that a yeah. good thing or a bad thing, Lou? No,
3: it's a, it's a great thing. It, it yeah. absolutely resonated, man. It resonated with everything I was thinking. Um, but I don't Here, Here's the thing. I don't want to dive into that right now because okay. for for my purposes, because I I will I'm, I'm going to want to talk to Quad I'm going to want to talk to about the um, you know uh, bathing with God uh, lecture or podcast that you've got going on, but man for my purposes I feel like my audience needs to know who you are man all right oh, they need to know who you are so let's just start from ground zero real quick and and I'm not going to make you tell tell me your life story what I will ask you though is um, something that I'm curious about and probably what a lot of people, I pretty much know at this point that you are a former member of the LDS church. You served a mission in Japan, correct?
2: Yeah. I'm still a member of record. Oh, you're still in the LDS, LDS church. church.
3: Yeah. Is that by choice?
2: It's by choice that I haven't resigned. Yeah.
3: Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So it's just, is, is it one of those things that you just haven't gotten around to it?
2: It's just, I don't see the point in it.
3: I don't actually. either. Actually, I'm, yeah, I'm, it, I'm actually in the same boat,
2: you know, like I've, I've, I've been in, in this, um, Ex Mormon world for probably ten years now, and you know I don't have anything against people who are resigning from it, but just for for me, it seems like that's one last one last acknowledgement of their authority over me. Yeah, that I need to go. Like, why do I need to do right. that? It's, it's not harming anybody to have my name on the records of the church, <laughs> right. and you know, like right.
3: I, I it just. I'm curious. Yeah. Have you been, have you been advanced by, have you been pursued by a church member? Okay, no. I'm pretty sure you're, no, you have not.
2: No, there was, there was a time, um, probably four or five years ago when I was still living in Indiana, I was living in Bloomington, Indiana. And I had heard through a friend of mine that the state president was asking questions about me Oh, to, to this friend. Um, so I published an episode on infants on Thrones. It was like, I think it's called an open letter to president Simmons. where I'm just like, Hey, if you want to know where I am, here's where I am, here's Here's what I'm thinking, you know? Um, but no, I've never had, I've never had anybody approach me, you know, and my, my interactions with church members and church leaders have been fine. Um, when I, when I moved from Indiana to Arizona, um, the, which is where the, my membership records are now is in Gilbert, Arizona. Mm -hmm. and I invited the bishop, you know, I got one of those calls saying, Hey, we're going to read your name into church. So you're going to be here. And and I'm like, well, I should probably let you know what my situation is. So I invited the bishop Rick over to the house and just said, Hey, look, I don't have any problem with you guys or what you're doing, but I really don't, you know, you don't need to give me home teachers. You know, I I don't really want to be involved with this. Um, Right. But you know, if if we pass each other on the street, I'll wave and say hi and
3: you know, so. We're going through a similar transition here because we just moved here, as you know. We we just moved to Las Vegas from Salt Lake City a yeah. few months ago, and um, incidentally, it was a few months ago as we were moving. I mean, that's not why we moved. It just so happened that we moved during this time that I had my faith crisis. Mm. Um, but it just so happened that when we moved here, our records got transferred here, mm-hmm. as as you know how the how the game goes. And we got approached by the same, you know, the the, the Elder Quorum presidency and the yeah. You know the relief society all the ministering guys coming out to try and drop us off cookies and things like that yeah and i haven't I haven't come out and told you know anyone in here yeah um that that I'm no longer a practicing member and and that I've left religion yeah but i think I think it's it's implicit it they know at this point and yeah. and and uh um, But anyway, I haven't made any acknowledgement, but I am feeding the missionaries this week. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, Cause they called me and they're like, Hey man, you and I said, of course we'll feed you, man. Come sure. on over. So, Yeah. We're, we're going to be feeding them and we'll uh, obviously, you know, I, I, and I I'm confident that they know our situation. I, I, I am confident. So it'll be pretty yeah. interesting. Um, I got to ask you, Glenn, Um, you know, and again, we're missing a whole lot here, but that's okay. My goal is not to go back and relive your childhood and things like that. I, I am just curious. Um, can you just quickly describe for me, is there one particular moment, like an aha moment that you came across that was kind of like, okay, this is the straw that broke the camel's back that basically broke your faith. I mean, was, was there one particular moment? It was an evolution of things.
2: My faith has never been broken.
3: Oh, okay. Well, my I'm faith, talking about my, your, yeah,
2: your, your my faith Jewish. has never been broken. My, you know, my, um, my disillusionment with the the church there's not a single moment like for me it was a very long slow burn that probably started on my mission when i i, I kind of i i served my mission in japan from 1991 to 93 it was okayama japan at the time then became the hiroshima mission for a long time i don't know what mission it is now but um i uh Maybe like the first half of my mission, I was really gung ho. And then I got kind of disillusioned on my mission because I I started seeing things that just felt kind of hypocritical to me. You know, we were out teaching about loving each other and this message, this good news. But then I saw these missionaries that were really politically motivated. They wanted to be zone leaders and Mm -hmm. APs. and They wanted they
3: wanted to work their way up that
2: yeah. And some were quite ruthless towards <laughs> others. And, and I, I kind of recognized in myself because I, you know, I was student body president of my high school and that kind of status was important to me. So yeah. like I wanted to be AP. Sure. I wanted to be a zone leader. I was only ever a do- a district leader, and that that was hard for me. You know, that was like really hard for my pride. And yeah. I remember even one night on my mission, I like praying, like, "Please, Heavenly Father, what can I do to become a zone what leader? What else you can know? I do?" And then and then when I like realized I was doing that, I'm like, "Oh, this this is messed up." You know. Yeah. So I so I uh, I I started having this kind of disillusionment, like little cracks, that I would say the way that I looked at it was the, the culture versus the gospel. That's the way that I saw it. Yeah. So I would say, Oh, well there are these things about the church that I don't like. So I would put them into the culture category, but the things that I do like, I would keep in the gospel category. And then I, (laughs) I started recognizing at some point as the gospel side became smaller and the culture side became larger. Eventually even the gospel side came underneath that culture, um, Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm like, oh, even the gospel is part of the culture. It, it's part of this yeah. man-made, fabricated, um, you know, fiction, which is what the book is, you know, really about, the the, the fictions that we all um
3: Well, uh, so, so if with. you recognize that it was man-made and that it was fiction, so what is your faith hung on? What are you hanging your faith on if you, if you said your faith hasn't been broken?
2: Well, I don't think that any— it, it, I don't think that anybody's faith is ever broken. It just changes. It. It's just like, Mind yeah, it. I know you, I, I, and, and we would have to like parse words and go, okay, well, we're just playing a game of semantics here, yeah. but you've got faith in other things now than, than faith in that before. And I know you might go, no, what I have now isn't faith. And, and, you know, we could have some fun going back and forth on that yeah. maybe, Yeah. but I, you know, like I, 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 I what, what is faith? Let, let let me just ask you, like, what, what I'll you, give you, when you I'll use give, the word faith, what yeah, do, what, I'll, I'll what do you give, think
3: that is? I'll give you the primary answer that I was taught, and the answer that I was taught growing up in the young men's and in sure. gospel doctrine. It's f- faith is is believing in something that you cannot see. It's believing in you know, it's believing in things that you can't see and hoping for those things, right? right. So it's the yeah. belief in it's the belief in things that you cannot um, put a finger on, yeah. things that don't exist, I guess. Things that you can't see—is that a good enough definition?
2: Well, so if it's it's belief in something that you can't see that you can't verify to yeah. be true. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you you don't have anything in your life right now that you believe that you just don't really know.
3: So I don't think so. Like... Not at this moment, unless someone convinces me on it. Because I, I got to tell you, when my um, and I'll just give you a real quick synopsis because I don't think we got into this, Glenn, uh, with our with our previous uh, discussion that we had for your Infants on Thrones episode. Sure. Um, but I think it's noteworthy of mentioning here. And I think this is where it's going to get fun for you and I actually. All right. I think go. we're going to have some, we're going to have a good conversation here because I was actually surprised when you said a minute ago that your faith wasn't broken. I was surprised. But at the same time, I thought, Oh, that explains this now because it, to some degree, I think of you kind of the same way that I think of Jordan Peterson. Okay. You're elusive. You're elusive. Like what? Like, and I, I, I mean that with Jordan Peterson because I listen to his stuff and then I just get frustrated because I'm Mm -hmm. like, take a position, man, take a position because he 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 goes off into these very um, nebulous arenas and I can't, I just cannot put a finger on what this guy stands for. Yeah. You know, like this, his most, most recent episode with Sam Harris, we talked about that. It frustrated me. Yeah. He said he acts as, acts as if there's a God, but yet he won't define it. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, well, how are you, how are you gaining these rules? And if you're going to act as if there's a God, you must have some rules that you're playing by. Right. So anyway, I'm, I'm not going to get back into that, but, but this is what I'm excited about because, uh, you know, to hear you say that you still have faith and your faith hasn't been broken. Um, yet most of your faith was built upon, you know, the the the, the Mormon doctrine, and, and now you know that you you've acknowledged that that no longer exists um, in your world. For me, it wasn't just the Mormon doctrine that fell; it was all Christianity that fell, and then religion followed close, you know, closely behind it. You know, because I, I again, it, it wasn't, it wasn't, I didn't leave the church because of my, of any disillusionment. I didn't leave the church because of, you know, uh, emotions or, or, or anti Mormon material that people were feeding me and, you know, store or something that had happened to me. I left the church because I actually started to read the scriptures. Like I actually went into the scriptures and I said, okay, yeah, if this is where all this culture came from. And this is where all this dogma came from this is where all these, the doctrine came from. Let me, let me go see how, how we derived morals from this thing. And immediately I started to see contradictions. I started to see ambiguity. I started to see absolutism that couldn't be explained. I just, and I started to see these stories that was that, that belonged right next to the Iliad and the Odyssey, you know, just all these things in the old Testament. But anyway, that's, that's where, that's kind of where I'm at. I'm just like, no, I feel pretty good. That, uh, that faith is dangerous, you know, um, faith is dangerous. And I feel pretty good about that. And I've, I've gotten a lot of reactions from people on that. Yeah. And, and, um, but, but that's, but that's, that's just me. I I guess I want to learn from you. So I'll be, I'll be silent and, and listen to you.
2: Well, okay. So let me, let me back up a little bit so that your listeners will know a little bit more about my background. I, I went to Indiana university to study folklore and mythology Mm -hmm. And I got a master's degree and almost a PhD. I went through the whole PhD (laughs) program. I started writing my dissertation on Mormon humor and I, I recognized midway through that the, you know, that the way that I was approaching Mormon humor was not going to be very palatable for most of the Mormons that I was talking to. Right. Um, and, um, like I, I wanted to teach at BYU because I, I did my undergraduate at BYU. That's where I got interested in, in folklore. And I worked in the folklore archives at BYU for a couple of years hmm. before I went to Indiana University. So I, you know, like when you talk about these stories and the scriptures that are on par with the Odyssey and the Iliad, you know, that was what I was dedicating my life towards. Because uh-huh. as, as I was interested in folklore and mythology, I was focusing on Mormonism. Yeah. And I I wrote my master's thesis on the lost tribes of Israel and the Japanese people, because Mm -hmm. those were stories that I came across on my mission about the Japanese being the lost tribes of Israel. Yeah. And it was fascinating. And so that's what I wrote my master's thesis on. Um, and, and then, yeah, like I said, I, I, I was going to write a dissertation on Mormon humor. I got halfway through and then I just got disillusioned with that. I got disillusioned with academia in general. And I, I went into, uh, the the medical device field. I worked for a medical device manufacturer for 13 years and I ended up going back to Tokyo and living in Japan for three years during that time, which was awesome. And, you you know, so, so when I was going through that graduate program and I was probably in school for six or seven years in graduate school, I, I, that's, uh, that's where I had my slow burn and I, I was still active. I, I was uh, an executive secretary for two different bishoprics. I was a ward mission leader for two different terms. I was gospel doctrine teacher. I don't know how many times that was wow. my favorite calling. I loved yeah. it. Right. And um, and when I was I was preparing for a lesson once for my gospel doctrine class, and it was in the doctrine and covenants, talking about the degrees of glory, and I wanted to go to to First Corinthians. I think it's First Corinthians chapter fifteen which is the source in in the Joseph Smith translation of where the word telestial comes from. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to understand, okay, telestial, terrestrial, celestial. And I started reading this and recognized very quickly that first Corinthians 15 is setting up this binary comparison of things that are in earth that are, um, the things that are in earth are mortal. They're imperfect. They're corruptible. And then there's things that are in heaven that are perfect yep. and incorruptible and you know on earth there's death in heaven there is eternal life and the things on earth there's different kinds of corruptible flesh like the flesh of men and fish and birds and then the in the heavens there's different kinds of bodies as well that there's stars and moon and uh, the, the Sun yeah <laughs> and I went, wait a minute. Okay. So the things that are on the earth, which are terrestrial and the things that are in heaven, which are celestial okay. and examples of the celestial column are stars and moon and sun they're not anywhere touching the terrestrial. Like, wait, wait, what's going on? Because not only at this time was I studying folklore, but I was also teaching it, and I was teaching English composition classes. I was teaching people how to write essays and how to organize information. So it became very clear to me that this 1 Corinthians has this parallel structure, and there's no room for a third category called telestial. So like when I went and I looked at Joseph Smith translation, saying there's things that are terrestrial, celestial. And he's like, anti-terrestrial. I'm like, wait, how does that even fit into anything that, was, that, that doesn't fit? Yeah. And it was really troubling to me. And I, I went and I talked with my bishop and I talked with other people. I'm, Can you explain to me where this comes from? And I, I went through this process of being like, well, could Joseph Smith have misunderstood what 1 Corinthians 15 was saying? Hmm. Is it possible that I understand this better than he did? Am I smarter? than Joseph Smith. And and if I had an aha moment at all, which you asked me earlier, it might've been this moment okay. where I went, well, I guess I'm in a PhD program in 1998 or whenever it was that this happened. And he was a farm boy living in 1820, whatever, 1830s when when he came up with this. Yeah. I think I probably understand this a little bit better than, right. than he did. And maybe that's not such a crazy blasphemous claim to make. Um, and I just, that, that's when things really kind of started unraveling going, okay, so it looks like these things that are going on in the church that we're told this is true might not be exactly what we're being told that it is, you know? Right. So, and, but again, I mean, it was, it was a long, slow, a long, slow burn. Um, but yet, you maintained your faith. Well, I'm, yeah. So when I say I maintain my faith, what I mean is I, I, I recognize that there is far more that I don't know than what I do know. And so yeah. I've got to take a huge humble pill on anything that I'm going to be certain on Sure. and go, Oh, you know what? This isn't something that I hold in certainty. This is something that I actually have faith in because I, I, I read uh, Richard Dawkins, the God delusion yep. and Good I got to his, yeah, great book. And, and I got to his, um, I forget what he calls it, but it's like a scale of agnosticism where
3: mm-hmm. there's like, where you uh, lean towards atheism or you lean towards. Yeah. yeah.
2: And it's like a one through seven and like a one <laughs> is I'm absolutely certain that there's a God and seven is I'm absolutely certain that there's not a God. Okay. And it just kind of like goes through this, you know, one through seven. And I, I identified with a six, which was mm-hmm. exactly where Richard Dawkins was mm-hmm. on that scale. Like I, I, I believe, I I don't believe that God exists or I I believe that the probability is very low and I live my life as if he's not there. And I went, wow, that describes me. That describes how I feel. I'm an atheist like Richard Dawkins. Uh That shocked me. Mm -hmm. But I went, okay, I I guess that's true. I I don't live my life as if there is this heavenly father that's keeping track of me. And mind what you do and say. Yeah. And is going to punish me for this or is going to, you know, like I, I just, I, I stopped living my life as if that were the case. Um, But the thing, the thing about that scale that really bothered me was I didn't want to be a six. (laughs) Yeah. I wanted, I wanted like, because I had been raised to believe in a God in a certain way, I still wanted that. There was still some comfort around it. There was still something about that that felt like it, like I, I shouldn't completely let go of it. And so I didn't know how to work that in with,
3: are you sure that wasn't your thing. emotional attachment to to the structure and, and all that?
2: It completely was my emotional attachment. Yeah, to it. But that doesn't mean that it wasn't real or that yeah. it wasn't there. You know, like and and so I, I I was thinking, Dawkins Dawkins scale doesn't give any room for what somebody wants if yeah. it's different. You know, like I might I might recognize okay I live my life as if there's no God there, but does that mean that that's what I want to be or not what I want don't want to be and and so a, any kind of claim from that point on where somebody would say, there is no God. I, I would go, okay, well, how do you know that? Right. Like where's the proof for that?
3: The burden of proof that there is no God is not on me because it Why? doesn't make a difference. Like it doesn't Why? make a difference in my life, whether there's a God or not, but for the but believer, but if you're, you're going to make a, a really strong
2: claim that says there is no God, that is a positive claim. Yeah. You're making a positive claim. There is no God. So, okay. So if you're making that claim and you're telling me that there's no burden of proof on you to have that position, I think you're deluding yourself.
3: Really? Yes. What if it doesn't make a difference to me whether he exists or not?
2: Then say that instead of saying there is no God.
3: Yeah, but I think it's a very well-supported argument given the advances we've made in science and being able to distinguish reality from fiction. I mean, there's simply no substantial evidence to date proving that there is a God. He lives only in the relative imaginations of the believer. And his likeness and rules and promises for a blissful hereafter vary from one faith to the next. I mean, it can be stated as truth that God, in its various forms of religion, in the long run, cannot be content with its own marvelous claims and sublime assurances. It must seek to interfere with the lives of nonbelievers. I mean, we're already seeing it in our, in our lives. So it'll seek, it seeks to interfere with the lives of nonbelievers, heretics, and even adherents of other faiths. It may speak about the bliss of the next world, but it wants power in this one.
2: So, so I, I think what happens is the pendulum swings <laughs> because the, the way that we were raised was emotionally to feel very comfortable in certainty. And okay. then when, when, when we see that ideas of God are used by other people to abuse people, we go okay that's dangerous, so so we 're going back to your claim that faith is dangerous yeah i don 't think faith is dangerous. I think faith is unavoidable. I think faith is the way that we all live in this world, and we fool ourselves by saying oh no i'm actually I actually know this when we don 't really know it, but we 're more comfortable with this position we don 't want to call it faith because faith is something that other people have, not me
3: and- let's, so, okay so let's just let 's just stick on that on that knowing God thing because I think I feel really comfortable saying that I know that there is no god. And, okay. and 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 the reason for that is because um I I haven't I haven't seen one. I haven't um heard one. I haven't experienced one. Yeah. And and also I haven't seen the god of the Old Testament, the New Testament, I haven't seen the Islamic god. I haven't heard from him. I haven't seen him on the news. I haven't seen him in my dreams. I haven't okay. I I just know that there isn't one. And and until someone can bring me some, you know, Make a strong case for it. Like I said, for the believer, if you wish to believe that there is a God and you're staking your whole life on him and you're, you know, you're, you're, you're you're governing your life according to his precepts. And this is what I would say to Mr. Jordan Peterson. If you're acting as if there is a God, the burden of proof is on you because you're acting as if there is a God. Prove to me that there is the one. What does he look like?
2: But but if but and and I don't know I don't know Jordan Peterson well enough or or his claims well enough to really use him as a as a good example. But so I don't know if if he's saying I know for certain that there is a God or if he's saying I have faith that there's a God. Because if you say I have faith that there's a God, there is no burden of proof because you're admitting it's a faith claim.
3: Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can. I can. It's buy like, that. I
2: can't prove it. I just. Okay. okay well, then I'm having okay. faith in that.
3: Let's, let's agree on that because I, I totally understand what you're saying. I totally yeah. get you. I follow you there. It's a faith claim and anyone can make that faith claim.
2: Yeah.
3: But I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it maybe just a step further because this part here is, is pretty close to my heart. I realized after I left the church that it wasn't that I had faith in God. It was that I hoped there was a God. There's a difference. Yeah. There's a difference. And because because right now I've asked myself, why do I even hope there's a God? And I think that was that that was a very personal interview that I had my had with myself when I finally decided, no, I'm good. I'm good, I'm good. I don't need to believe in a God to be a just person. I don't need to believe in a God or an imaginary being to live a good life. Right. And And I started to ask myself that question. Why did I always hope that there was a God? Why did I want there to be a God? You know, and I and I couldn't. I couldn't come up with an answer. I couldn't come up with a healthy answer. And I started to think, okay, well, when I was a believer, I liked the idea that I can be with my family together forever. Does religion give me that? Does God give me that hope? And I started to go through the scriptures and I started to read through the Old Testament and the New Testament and again. I'm not I'm no, I'm not a scriptorian. I I'm 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 going to I'm going to defer to you on this and and I will tell anybody. If you've got a better understanding of the scriptures, I'm, I'm all ears because I'm on this spectrum right now. I, you know, I just I want I want to learn. But I couldn't find anything. I couldn't find a message in, in the doctrine that talked about families that talked about families being forever. All I saw was a message of God is the father and it was personal salvation and that we return to him under his eternal supervision. I didn't see anything there about, hey, you do this. You can be together forever with your families and enjoy eternities, you know, in uh, in the hereafter with your families. Do, do, and I, I might be digressing here a little bit and pivoting in a different direction. But do you recall seeing anything in your studies about anything about families? I'm talking about the, you know, yeah. I mean, the Book of Mormon is derived from the Old Testament, and the New Testament. I I don't see any language that talks about any promises of, of No, I mean, it's.
2: It's pretty. It's pretty clear to me that the families can be together forever. Doctrine and Mormonism was a later addition. You know, yeah, I it's mean, a later addition. Even, even after Nauvoo, when they started sealing people to each other, I mean, like the the early days of sealing. If I understand it right, um, Joseph Smith had men sealed to him as as well as like friends, and, and you know, I didn't know could, that anybody. Yeah, that anybody Yeah, there were there were people that were being sealed to them because they wanted to be connected with them in the eternities, and 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 so it wasn't just um, the, the family unit. Um, but, but so there's, there's a whole evolution of what, you know, what started off as Mormonism and then what we have today. And, and you can see shifts and you can see changes there. Um, I, I don't think of the scriptures as any kind of an authority for any of that stuff. Anyway, I, I, I think of the scriptures, like I think of many things as kind of like a Rorschach inkblot okay. and, you know, you like go in there and you go, oh, this, this rorschach ink plot right here means this to me. And I've got all these other people here who agree with me that that's what this rorschach ink plot means. And I could, but then you get to somebody else who like, oh, well, I interpret the rorschach ink plot this way. And then yeah. we're going to have debates over what that rorschach ink plot actually means. Right. <laughs> right. It's a rorschach ink plot. And I think I think everything is kind of like that to some degree or another. But um, yeah, I guess. So, you. yeah, I don't, I, I'm not a scriptorian either, but I, I have spent a lot of time with the things that I'm interested in, yeah. the, the the families being together forever wasn't one of my key issues.
3: I think that's uh, one of the biggest so. sell though, at least for the Mormonism, you know, for for the Mormon faith, that's a big sell, you know, for for the missionaries to go out there and, and sell this idea that you can be sealed to your families and you'll see your child again and things like that. And, and, and I've, yeah, you know, I, I had a friend that just uh, recently had his son pass away. Yeah. No, admit, man, it's, it really made me think because my wife and I, when we sat there in the congregation on the pew, you know, and we're sitting in the, in a Mormon chapel, it was the first time that we'd sat in one since we've left. Yeah. I'll admit to you, I, that's a hard space for me to be in. I, I don't know what kind of comfort I can give to somebody as an atheist. I don't know what kind of a soft landing I can give to somebody to experience, you know, to console them in death because that's, religion's done a good job at monopolizing that area of uh you know of, of of giving comfort to people who who are who have lost loved ones or giving comfort to people who may be afraid of losing their own life you know hey there's a better place um after this or junior's gone on and he's in he's in good hands now his pain's over and he's living in a better place i can see how that can be very consoling and how that can give peace to people and why people would continue to believe that but then i walked when i drove away Um, Later after the funeral, I thought to myself, is that really, is that really, is that really the biggest offer that religion has for humanity? Is that why people just hang on to it at at, at the very, with with every fabric of their core, they hang on to faith or religion or whatever. They don't want to absolutely walk away from it because there's still that sliver of, you know, uh, man, maybe, maybe I am going to see my family. But I thought to myself, if that's the biggest thing that religion has to offer is consolation and peace and comfort to people, then doesn't that leave room open for anyone to say that, well, anything that makes me feel good then is, is okay. If religion makes you feel okay about death, even though we have no evidence that there is an afterlife, even though that we have no evidence that your God that you're praying to doesn't exist, you know, can't can't I say that my taking of cocaine is okay then because it makes me feel better and it consoles me? Does it? Well I, are, I've never are, taken. Are, are
2: you admitting right now on your podcast that you no, take cocaine I've, and I've, it consoles you? I've never taken cocaine.
3: I've never tried cocaine. I have tried some pretty bad substances in the past. I had one stint with acid when I was in college. Yeah. And, and I had a bad enough experience where I'm like, Oh shit, I'm not doing that again. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, I mean, I've, I've, I've smoked marijuana, I've drank beer and you know, I've done all that stuff, but uh, I've, you know, those are, those are things that I choose not to partake of only because I just don't prefer them. I, you know, I mean, if people like to do those things more power to you, but I guess what I'm saying is for the person that does smoke marijuana and, and claims that that makes him feel better and that Mm -hmm. makes him, cope with things better, yeah. then who am I to take that, you know, who am I to take that binky away from them? You yeah. know? I mean, I guess what I'm saying is it's, it's, I, I guess if, if you're going to say that that's what religion does for you is make you feel better about life's toughest, you know, problems and helps you cope. Then I can, I guess the window's open for me to say anything Then can, anything that makes you feel good is okay. I,
2: I mean, that's That seems like a really tricky like blanket statement, I don't know. I have to take it on a case by case. Well,
3: because some people say
2: anything that makes me feel better is okay. I don't. I don't know about that. <laughs> but but you know, like the 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 claim about religion and and what did you say that that religion only offers comfort to people um, in cases of death? Was that is that
3: what you said? Uh, kind of. I guess what I'm saying is is that. I'm of this personal belief. This is not something I picked up on a book. This is not something I heard from a podcast. This is not something I saw on YouTube. This is just something that I personally believe. Mm-hmm. If you're looking for an atheist, mm-hmm. you'll be likely to find them in a church congregation. Well, that's interesting. Why, why, why do you think that? I just believe that a lot of people that are sitting in church congregations don't believe what they believe. I, mm-hmm. I just believe that. Mm-hmm. I believe that there's enough people sitting in congregations that every Sunday, they don't say it. They don't verbalize it. They don't acknowledge it, but they're thinking that they're like, why the hell do I believe what I'm believing? Mm. You know, why am I doing this? Why do I continue to do this? I really believe that people will people sit in these congregations and people continue to believe what they believe because it was something that it was indoctrinated in them since they were little, they're on Mm. autopilot. They just continue to go on. And then when they reach a point when they become adults, when they're like, wait a minute, this shit doesn't jive. Well, guess what? It's too late at that point. Yeah. They've got kids that they've already baptized into the church. They're already in a calling. They've already been sealed to their wife. They've committed their Fridays to temple worship. They've, you know, they've got sons on missions. They've got, you know, all these things. And, and at that point they're almost like, well, it's not going to do any harm for me to continue to just play this story. I can still continue to be doubtful while still keeping the balances you know, keep the pendulum swinging. I'm not going to disrupt anything. I mean, that's my personal belief. My personal belief is that most people are sitting in congregations don't really believe what they believe. That's just me. How did you define faith earlier? Faith is believing in something that you cannot see. Okay. Okay.
2: So, so like you haven't gone and verified with all of these people that they're having this experience that no. you, oh. you believe that they are having this experience. Because sure. I, I, I would probably like tongue in cheek say, okay, Lou, it looks like we found something that you have faith in. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, so, 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 so yeah. this, this is the way that you feel. And, and my guess would be that that's what your experience was for a long time. And so you're thinking, okay, other people probably have a similar experience to what
3: mine is. Well, that's fair, but this is not exactly a faith claim. It's more of a theory than it is a faith claim, and I guess I can couple that with empirical evidence, like my personal experience with having talked with other people that uh, Mm -hmm. and them sharing some of the same sentiments and the same you know struggles and 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 faith crisis. Yeah, Yeah, people that I never would have suspected either. It's a pretty small sample size when you take the the
2: anecdotal evidence, um, and and then you know like the other thing is confirmation bias. That when, when we, when we have our own um, belief about the way that things are, we're going to see things that confirm that belief and, and something that would maybe disconfirm our belief, we'll turn a blind eye to, Um, you know, that that's just a very natural human thing that I have, that you have, that everybody does. Um, So I
3: made a, I made a blanket statement earlier without explaining, and I feel like I owe it to you. I said that faith is dangerous. I need to explain to you why I feel like it's dangerous. All right. Because faith makes decent people do pretty stupid things. I, I, think, I think faith is, is the, the root cause for why we have family members now that, don't, that choose not to talk to us anymore. I think faith is the root cause for why long-lasting friendships have decided to distinguish that relationship because we changed our minds. And because we no longer believe in the same thing they do and they, they avoid us because they feel like we're now apostates and and that we are, you know, we're going down the wrong road and that's all due to their faith. There's nothing else, but it's, it's their faith. Because nothing else changed in our life other than the fact that we changed our minds, but there's more to it. Faith is the reason why there's people across the globe right now preparing, you know, um, bombs and, you know, training their kids to be suicide bombers planning the next you know, flight to America and blowing up the next building, blowing up the next plane, that only faith can do something like that. That's not mm-hmm. objective reality that does something like that. It's faith. Okay. It's you. fiction.
2: Uh, you know, I, I I, <laughs> I, I, can't, um, argue with you that faith
3: has. Faith is what killed all those people at Waco with the David Koresh <laughs> following.
2: Um, so I guess what, what what I would ask is is that all that faith does is that the only thing that faith does
3: probably not probably not
2: you know, and and it, it's it's a it's a big discussion it's one that I've had with a lot of people over the years being in this ex Mormon podcasting space and it 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 really I I don't know that arguing about this or or trying to challenge your position on it is, is really helpful at all it's just acknowledging like what i what i see and what i feel from you with this is the pain of the consequence of your choices and and the way that you've been responded to by people that you care about yeah and yeah. and you feel misunderstood and vilified and that sucks it's hard yeah. it hurts and and when you're trying to figure out why what changed well the only thing that changed was the way that i approach Mormonism and life. And, life. And, and, and life and, you know, and, and, uh, there's a lot of pain around that. And, and so when you're, exp- when you're saying that faith is dangerous, what I hear you saying is I'm in a lot of pain and, yeah. uh, you know, far be it from me to, to do anything to say, no, you're not.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, I think no. that's fair. I think that's it, a, that, that's a fair assessment. Yeah. Yeah. I can go with that. So, so what would Quad think about this? um, the idea that, uh, uh, this is a question for quad. Um, well, why
2: don't we introduce to your listeners who quad is? And okay,
3: sure. I'll let you is. go. And so quad, <laughs> uh, well, let me tell you my perspective on quad and then maybe you can clear it up. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, quad is an amazing individual. So quad is supposed to be your is, alter ego is not the right word. It's your, it's your imagination. Do you ever
2: read that? Calvin and Hobbes? Say that again. Did, did you ever read the comics, Calvin and Hobbes? No. Okay. Well, you're missing out, man, because Calvin and Hobbes is just, it's fantastic. It's, it's It was one of my favorite comic strips. I would share it with my kids and, it's this little, I think he's five or six years old, and he's got this imaginary tiger friend that, you know, it's a stuffed animal. Yeah. So so like some, some of the frames of the comic strip, you see this little boy holding a stuffed animal. But other times you see when his imagination and this tiger becomes twice as big as he is, and they go in the forest, they have all of these adventures and these philosophical conversations. And Calvin and Hobbes is just beautiful. So I I, I think I realized recently that in writing this book, Bathing with God, what I was kind of doing was creating recreating my own kind of Calvin and Hobbes situation where you've got this, this bather in a bathtub, who's an atheist, yeah. who, you know, <laughs> is, a, is a lot of me. And having this conversation with this voice that he hears, that's kind of like this Hobbes imaginary yeah. tiger, like, is it God? Is it not God? You know, the, the, the best thing that we can really prove is that it's the imagination of the bather so he's having this conversation with his own imagination but but this voice of quad which is a quantum realm god it's it's quantum god quad that's where that name comes from um is is um kind of pushing him and and challenging him and it's 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 playfully philosophical and tackling these questions about religion and spirituality and reality and fiction and the I have another thought too about existence. who Quad is. I
3: have All another right. thought about who Quad is. Who is Quad to you? I think I think he's Glenn's safe safe space. Hmm. Meaning, like Linus's blanket. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> he he's, he's he Quad Quad is where. Quad is where Glenn can safely say what he wants to say, and and put it in a and put it off to an existence that has no attachment to Glenn. Mm. That's I almost I almost kind of again I, I I hope we don't take that offensive. I when no, I, I was don't. hearing it I'm almost kind of like I wonder if this is. If this is Glenn, this is how he really feels. He just, but he doesn't have to be attached to it. It's I really feel
2: like- both of them, you know. I mean, like they're both extensions of me, you know. Of so, course. so so like these these two characters in this book, it comes from me. So I I think it's I think it's really tempting to go, oh, Glenn is this one and not that one. But yeah. you know, like yeah, I, I'm both of them. And but then once again, Lou, I mean, like what I've done in creating this this fictional book and putting it out into the world is I've created another Rorschach inkblot. Yep. for you to look at. And when you see it, you see the things that resonate with you because they resonate with your experiences and your feelings and things that, you know, so you're going to see things in there that you identify with that nobody else is going to see because you're looking at it through your eyes and your life and your experience. And cool. Mm-hmm. that's cool. I, so I love hearing people tell me what they, they think they are seeing when they're seeing that because it's another way of you telling me who you are.
3: Yeah, it's true. Well, I I love, I I love quad and I love Glenn Austin too. I I, I just enjoyed the entire experience and I can't wait to, I can't wait to hear more. Um, and I am going to order the book as well too, because I want to make notes and refer to it.
2: Well, there's, there's a chapter later on. So, so what I'm doing with the book, the book is the book is written. It's available on Amazon to purchase, but I'm also releasing it as a podcast and I'm, I'm releasing
3: a chapter a week. Uh Um, and what so, directories? What directories are the, is that podcast available? Is that on Spotify, iTunes?
2: Yeah, it's on Spotify and iTunes right now. It's also on YouTube, or I'm getting it up on YouTube, and, okay. and uh, I'll put I'll put it in other places as well. Um,
3: Will you have it on your website as well?
2: Yeah, there's a website, bathingwithgod.com. Bathingwithgod.com. It's, it's, it's just like a cheap little free website through the host. Yeah. Oh, so it's, it's just a holding space, a parking yeah, space for it, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's not fancy. <laughs> All right, um, but um, but there's a chapter later on, and and I want to go back to what you said about quad being a safe place for me. Um, I, I had had um, an interaction with a friend of mine that I, I went away from feeling really bad, feeling really, really low. Yeah. Like th- this is a guy that have been friends for a long time and I'm thinking that the friendship is over and I like, I don't want it to be over. And so I wanted to call another friend of mine to talk about it and he wasn't available. So I filled up the okay. bathtub. I filled up the bathtub. <laughs> I love it. And I got in and I I pulled out my phone and I'm like, "Okay, quad." And I cuz cuz I wrote the whole book on my phone in the bathtub. That's so amazing. it really is, you know, like bathing with with God kind of. Wow. And um I just started working this out like, "Okay, why are you coming to me with this? What what is it that you're needing? What is it that you want?" And so I I put myself in this position to have kind like, "Okay, what kind of advice would I give myself in the you know, persona of quad. And it went in a direction that I didn't expect early. Like when I started, I didn't expect that this was going to be the answer yeah. that came. And, you know, I've, I've been, I've been writing pretty much my whole life. I I, I love writing. This is the first thing I've ever published, but I've written sc- uh, screenplays and I've I, like, I've written, a, you know, a bunch of things. I, I wrote a satirical piece when I was a senior at BYU Called the Life and Times of Stephen Erastus Knudsen the Third, was a a real stickler for the rules. Man, I mean, like <laughs> he is—he's kind of like Dwight Schrute before there was a Dwight Schrute, you know. Okay, <laughs> um, and, um, and 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 one thing that I learned is that when I when I start writing and I create a character like that, it really does take on a life of its own. Yeah, you know, writers will tell you that, and maybe you experience this with your art too. Like when you mm-hmm. start, you don't know what the end product's going to look don't. like, yeah. and it just kind of like takes over yeah and so quad does that with me too where yeah you know like i because i don't i don't want to give, i don't want to like lob softballs that then just like okay i <laughs> that are very like one-sided conversations like i want to really push back yeah. like if, if that actually were me in a bathtub hearing a voice and i'm asking a question and i'm getting this kind of a response how would i really respond to it yeah i'm not gonna go oh okay yes then there is a God and I, I love that. Awesome. No, okay, I'm going to push back on it. And, and uh, then what does the pushback come when I get on the other side? It, it'd be like trying to play chess against yourself, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. And yeah, and,
3: uh, well, you've and, had, you've had a lot of opportunity to, to have a conversation with quad. I'd like to put quad on trial for a second. Is that okay? <laughs> on trial. Yeah. Okay.
2: You want me to get quad? Get quad. Are, are I'm, you going, are you going to talk to quad right now?
3: I, I want to talk to quad right now. All right. I want to talk to quad.
0: Hello, Lou. This is
3: Quad. All right. So I've had a chance. I've had a chance to listen to your conversation with Glenn Quad. Yes, and, uh, I know. You, you know? Yes. You know that I knew that I was going to say that? Of course. Okay. All right. This is getting interesting already. <laughs> I know that, too. Okay. I'm going to pick on a certain snippet from your conversation with Glenn that I was listening to when I was driving through Wyoming. You said that God yeah. was whatever people make it or people make him to be. Hmm. If I, if I heard it correctly, if, if I didn't hear that correctly, you're welcome to correct me. But
0: yeah.
3: is that what you said? Did you say that God is whatever we make it to be?
0: Not exactly, but that's what you heard. So please continue.
3: Okay. If God is, is who we make it to be, if you insist on that, then why, why must we insist on giving it a name? Like why do we always refer to it as God?
0: All right, if you see something growing out of the ground, you don't immediately have a name for it, but it has what looks like a trunk and branches and leaves, wouldn't you call that a tree? When I see a tree
3: coming out of the ground and I don't have a name for it, meaning if if I didn't know
0: that it was a tree? Meaning that tree is the word that is commonly used to describe a thing with those general characteristics, even though there are a lot of different kinds of trees. The word commonly used to describe something that is an omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent creator of all things is God. Of course, the word God means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Yes. I think that's actually what you heard me say. That's actually correct. So what I'm telling you is that in the Bible, In the book of Genesis, you are told that God created man in his own image. But it's actually the opposite of that. Man creates God in man's own image. 100% agree. And let's not exclude the women here, because every person creates an image of God in their mind that is consistent with their own life experiences and their culturally accepted expectations of the world around them. Is that why there's so many gods? yes because no two people's idea of god is exactly the same ever everyone varies even if it's just a little bit in the way they view who or what god is or is not and how much god cares or does not care about this thing or that thing or whatever there are as many different versions of god as there are believers and non-believers who have opinions about god all of them are fictions Each of these fictions is personally real and personally valid. All of these fictions are true in the sense that they truly reflect the values of the person who is holding their particular set of beliefs. Not a single one of them, however, is the one true objective truth, but all of them are individually true and meaningful.
3: Do you think that's dangerous that so many people have different images of God and they dedicate their lives serving these images of God who are fundamentally different from the other gods that are trying to disprove the other gods.
0: I don't, but it looks like you do. So let's hear it. Why do you think that? Um,
3: okay. Okay. Like certain gods require people to make sacrifices, whether that be blood sacrifice or whether it be sacrifice of money or time. I think those are all dangerous. Um, there's a Christian God that requires people to pay ten percent of their tithes or they'll
0: burn in hell. There's scripture for that. And you think that's dangerous? I think that's dangerous, yeah. You think it's dangerous for a person to voluntarily give ten percent of their income to a church that they absolutely love? I
3: I absolutely do, especially when that church then in turn takes their their money, their assets, and and uses it in ways that maybe is not kosher i guess to to rule principalities
0: to control the the upper class and to control the lower class okay so you're asking me quad yes if i think that paying tithing is dangerous if that's dangerous no i don't think it's dangerous and i especially don't think it's accurate to make such a blanket statement that it's dangerous okay as if that's all that it is or even that that's mainly what it is. Okay. Now, I don't deny that there are people who abuse the faith of other people. Yeah. But saying that all faith is dangerous because some people abuse other people is like saying that all food is poisonous because some people poison other people's food. Okay. Now, maybe you would argue that food is a relic of our past, that we live in a day and age now where we don't need food. We could use vitamins and supplements instead. Why risk eating food When you can get food poisoning, food poisoning has sickened and killed hundreds of thousands of people over the years. We should just get rid of food altogether. People who eat food are clearly stupid for taking the risk. It's dangerous. Dangerous. Food is dangerous. Good luck trying to get people to put away their pizza or their hamburgers or their chicken wings or their steaks or their baked potatoes or their pies or their ice cream or, you know, now I'm starting to get hungry. I would say that
3: I, I think it's pretty obvious that you, that, that Quad, you think that uh, religion is, is
0: utilitarian, right? I think that everything is utilitarian.
3: Okay. All right.
0: I would say that religion is a Rorschach inkblot. Okay. And All right. Well, just the, the, okay. the, the way that people respond to that
2: is, is the responsibility of the person who's responding to it. I got you. And some, people, and some people respond to it in a very wonderful way. Beautiful helpful way. It makes them love other people. It makes them care for other people I don't see the danger in that there's other people who would use it to um, Manipulate To to put fear in the hearts of someone else to get them to do something that they wouldn't otherwise do But now they're doing it because they're being told a story of fear if you don't do this then you're gonna burn in hell forever I think that's abusive Yes, and I think the danger I think the main danger And I'll get really specific here. I think the main danger of the Mormon church is that it creates a sense of unworthiness in the minds of its members that they believe Mm -hmm. that they are at a default unworthy unless they do X, Y, and Z, and then another X, Y, and Z, and then another X, Y, and Z. And this, this constant attempt to find worthiness, to find love, when I believe that that's the default nature of the universe is love and acceptance. And what quad, what quad is and what quad does Mm -hmm. is trying to look at things from a broader perspective, trying, trying to look at things from the perspective of life as a, as a larger force than just
0: humans on this planet. You can go ahead and call it an eternal perspective unless that feels too icky coming out of your mouth or going into your ears. And as this, this energy that we
2: all are, we're, we're all made up of atoms and these atoms were forged in the stars. And these atoms have been around a lot longer than religion has, a lot longer than anything else have. They've been parts of things yeah. that before they were parts of you and I, they'll be parts of us afterwards.
3: So on that vein, does the universe have any idea that you and I are here? today what does that mean does the universe have any idea what, that what we do you are mean
2: here? by the universe
3: the universe the atoms energy
2: do the atoms in your body know that they are creating lou is that what you're asking i don't me?
3: believe i don't believe it does but do, does quad think that the universe believes that we're here knows that we're here Do you think the universe is biased to human beings?
2: Well, I'd be—I would be careful in talking about the universe as if it's a single thing that has a single mind that thinks like a human being.
3: Yeah, because i I believe people have used the word universe interchangeably with God, right? Sure. That—that was—that's kind of their better, more politically correct word. The
2: universe, rather than using or nature or love or source energy. There's all kinds of words that can be used to be substitute for God. Sure.
3: I guess what I'm getting at is the problem that I have religion is that it's incredibly solipsistic as if we are the center of the universe, as if the universe has conspired for our benefit. Well,
2: I've got news for you. You are the center of the universe. Me? Yes. From your, from your perspective, if you stand on a boat in the middle of the ocean and you look out in every direction, you're just going to see horizon, but it's equidistant as far as you go. And you're in the center uh-huh. of it. You are okay. in the center of it. Every place you go, you are in the center of it. That, it that's a, an illusion of perspective. That's your consciousness. You are the center of the universe.
3: Until the shark, which is at the top of the food chain in that ocean. Mm-hmm opens its mouth and without any bias to who I am mm-hmm. will feed on me and I am done. Am I n- you're gone. I'm no longer part of that center, right? You're no, you're no,
2: no-, you're no longer able to look out and see everything <laughs> around you at an equidistant because now you are dead. Are you sure? Am I sure that you're dead when a shark yeah. devours you? Maybe it takes some time. Are you sure? Am I sure about what?
3: Are you sure that I'm dead when the, guy, when, when, when the shark devours me? I thought... I thought that that was fiction. What is fiction? That the shark came up and bit me because everything is fiction. Mm. So if everything in this world is fiction, mm. then are you sure that I'm dead mm. after got after I get eaten by a shark?
2: That's a really good question. What what do you mean by fiction?
3: Well, fiction in the sense that um it's not real. I I've heard you struggle with this with Quad before, Glenn, and um and I'm I'm in the same boat. I mean Fiction, I guess this is where linguistics come in, but from, from the term that we understand, what fiction means is it's not real. It it's it's not there's no truth to it. It's it's a fairy tale. So if it if, doesn't exist. If you're
2: saying if you're using the word fiction to mean not real and uh-huh. there's no truth to it, then we need to find a better a different word to use, because that's not what I mean when I say fiction.
3: What, what do you mean? What I mean fiction? when I
2: say fiction is that it's an incomplete perspective. It, it's, it's one perspective of many, but it's not the perspective. It's not the single truth. It might be the single truth from one perspective.
3: but it's, Are you saying that there is no truth then?
2: No, I'm not saying that there is no truth. I'm, I'm, say, I'm saying that fictions are truths. I'm saying that fictions are real.
3: Oh, I know they're real. Yeah. I know fictions are real, yeah. and, they, and they have a very real impact in the world. Right. Just as just as the Avengers are real, but it's also fiction.
2: Yeah. Right. But but just as the money that you carry around in your pocket is a fiction, just as the the street lights when you when you stop at a red light, red doesn't really mean stop. We've just agreed on that's what it's going to mean, and green is going to mean go. And so we have this common fiction that we've all accepted as a way to interact well, with each tend, other in the world. Our
3: human, our human nature, we tend to take things that are fiction, not very serious. We don't give it a whole lot of weight. Oh, I
2: disagree. I think I think there are fictions that are the most serious things that people take. They just don't recognize them as fictions.
3: Well, when we go to a haunted house, when we go to a haunted house, we know that those things are not real going in, and so we don't really get scared. We walk in there, just have a good time. We smile, you know. It doesn't, and we're able to go back home and sleep. We know that the guy running with a chainsaw is not a real person with a chainsaw. It's a it's a fictional character with a chainsaw that makes noise that's not going to kill you. And so we make these decisions every day based on what's real and what's fiction. So, based on my knowledge that a haunted house is fiction. And that the knives that those characters are carrying is not actually going to kill me. I make that decision to take my children to the haunted house for purely for entertainment purposes. Right. But if I knew that that was not a haunted house. Yeah. And I knew that there's a bad dude that lives in that house that's got some bad intentions and he owns knives and he just got out of jail. That's pretty real to me. And
2: it's a real chainsaw. he really is going to chain you up with it. Chainsaw you up with right. It. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What are we talking about?
3: We're talking about objective reality versus subjective reality, which you call fiction. Uh,
2: is, is there one or the other, or is there both?
3: Well, there is both. I think there is a separation between objective reality and subjective reality. I, do. I, I think there are things, and I actually, by the way, I actually believe that there are things that are actually true, whether, you're, whether you like it or not. <laughs> and I do too. Regar- well, regardless of perspective is what I'm saying. Irregardless of perspective. Mm,
2: I don't know that I would say irregardless of perspective.
3: Why not? Because, 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 okay, so subjective reality is, is, is entering biases, right? That's why it's subjective because it's based on your own bias, your own perspective. I can separate that from objective reality and four people standing on the horizon on a cliff, watching the sun come over the horizon at 6. AM, regardless of what their religious beliefs are, knows that the sun just rose from the East above that horizon, at 6.01 a.m. That's an objective reality, regardless of what you think happened. Do you think it's possible, then, that one out of the four thinks that a cherry is coming up on the top, not a sun?
2: No, but I'm telling you, the sun didn't come up on anything. The Earth spun around. It was an illusion that the sun is coming up on the horizon.
3: Okay, yeah, yeah. We know that through science, but, you know, we know that through science that that's exactly what's happening, but as we're standing on that cliff, the objective reality is is that that sun just made itself manifest. It, it's, not, it's not there because of somebody's prayer.
2: Yeah. I, it's I, not I, there. I, be- I think that you think that I'm saying that there isn't reality in the world, and boy, that's not what I'm saying.
3: Okay. 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 Know, there is reality.
2: Absolutely right? there's reality. The, what, what, I'm, what I'm trying to do by making the claim that everything is a fiction in this book, and it's something that gets pushed back a lot, <laughs> it gets pushed back and forth a lot, is... To look at, like, like to to take a big humble pill about the things that you believe to be true, and ask yourself, how do you? It, it's kind. Of, it, it was it was inspired a lot by street epistemology, yeah. and I, I um, have spent some time talking to street epistemologists on infants on thrones and um, ask, how do you know what you know is true? And r- recognizing that the things that I think are true, most of them. It's not saying that like facts are not facts and that there isn't objective reality, but that the, what I think that it means is a story that I'm telling that is unique to me and to my experiences. And maybe there'll be people that agree. That's what it means because they've had similar experiences, but that's a shared fiction. So I am looking at fiction as, um, we, we only have a certain perspective and even as humans, Our senses have evolved to detect a very narrow range of light. So we don't see everything that's around us. We don't know what that looks like from another creature who evolved different ways of perceiving things. So if we're standing on that cliff looking at the sun and there's a a bat next to us (laughs) that, that bats don't see, they hear and they create an image in their mind based on sonar, I don't know what their experience is of the sun coming up, if they detect that or not. I have no idea, you know? Gotcha. So so it's just, there is this, this, when you're talking about a subjective fact, um, subjective reality, uh, it, I, really what I just want to do, and I, and I mentioned this in the preface of the book, is to level the playing field, to get away from the judgment that comes when you say the things that I believe are true and the things that you believe are wrong and so that means yeah. that I'm smart and you're stupid and right. I want to get away from that as far as I can and so right.
3: which is the, the which which goes back to what I said at the very beginning I think that that's what quad is yeah quad is that quad is that alter ego quad is that um, person outside of Glenn yeah that can explore because you have no attachment to that person To that quad, to that imagination. Yeah,
2: and I mean when you're using the word attachment, I I guess like I I want to I I want to detach from those beliefs. I I want to I I want to make it okay to explore these kinds of ideas um, and not be so attached to them that if I get challenged that then my blood starts getting boiled and I feel like I'm at war. Yeah. You know, because I think that happens all too often.
3: I didn't think I was gonna ask this question, but why do you think why do you think people hold on so strongly to those toys? And when I'm talking about those toys, is I'm talking about those imagined realities, specifically religion and God. I now I'm not asking. I'm no longer asking you about the the yeah. existence of God. No, you're, asking, you're asking me that.
2: about personal identity and why personal identity why, is so attached do, to it. Why do you
3: think people get folklore? so defensive about it when um, when when someone makes a claim that God does not exist? Why do people get so upset about that? Why? Why do you think that? I mean, I'm not going to hold you to your. But why do you think that?
2: I, I. Well, I think there are different reasons, and you'd have to ask the people who are getting upset. Why are you getting upset about this? Um, and they might not even know why they're getting upset about it. But, but that, that, it's an extension. All, all belief is our thoughts that exist in the mind. Okay, beliefs are real things, like, like physical. Things, thoughts yeah. are physical things. It, it, it like that, the, yeah. the the neural pathways in our brain, yeah. they're yeah. real physical things. And so, yeah. our sense of identity gets shaped and formed by our beliefs. And if if we're really closely um, connected or attached to a belief in God, and someone comes along and says, "No, there's no God," there there could be a sense of identity that's that's being challenged. I think the most, I, I think probably the most common reason is that they think they're being called stupid. They they think that they're right. they're saying uh, you know like w- when when i when i first talked to my dad about my struggles against mormonism i did it in an email and i wrote like here are the things that I like about the church because I was trying to balance it out. And here are the things I don't like about the church. And I tried to make it really, really personal to me. You know, like this is just my subjective opinion, dad, you know, like I, I I like these things I really do. And I don't like these things. And I I'd like some help working through this stuff. His response to me was, do you think I'm stupid? Do you think I'm an idiot for (laughs) believing these things? Right. You know, I'm like, no I, and that's why i was trying to tell you this is just like my you know we've never i mean that was probably 15 years ago we've never really gone back and tried to to have those kinds of discussions because it's just he's so i don't know he's been great to me he he he's, he has been great to me he, so i don't want to make it seem like he's this intolerant person because okay. he's
3: not i'm going to i'm going to say this but only because i don't I have this life to live, Glenn. Yeah. Okay. And it's a gift. And I have I have certain axioms that I live by right now. Um, and this will kind of give you a little idea of what goes on in my head. But one of the biggest ones that I live by is I am not responsible for your feelings. Mm-hmm. And when I say your feelings, I'm projecting out to everyone. That's right. Okay. I'm really not. Yeah. I'm not responsible for your feelings. You are responsible for your own feelings. Right. You can't get upset at me for what I say because you can't control me. I mean, my feelings are just like what you said. My feelings are subjective to what I know and what I feel and what I've experienced, which is why I feel so emboldened to share my story, even though my story, my story involves other people yeah. in my family, yeah. my siblings, my parents, yeah. and things like that. But the way that I've been shaped in my life is, is, is uh, doing large part by how I viewed the world The things that have impacted me And so I've gotten to this point where I'm like No I'm just going to say what I want to say yeah. So if someone, if, if someone asks me Are you telling me that I'm stupid for believing this I will comfortably say Yes I do You want to know why Because if you believe If you believe That Lot's wife Turned into a pillar of salt If you literally believe that I can comfortably say yes that I do think you're stupid Mm -hmm. because Lot's wife would be the only person in the history of the world as far as we were able to measure that turned into a pillar of salt. Mm -hmm. Rest her poor soul. Yeah. And then on top of that, she didn't just turn into a pillar of salt. She turned into a pillar of salt because she looked back at the city. Now, can I comfortably say that? Yes. Why are you mad at me? You know, why are you mad at me for saying that? I think you're stupid for believing that. I think it's a, I think it's absolutely absurd. I think any adult. Okay. That is now grown out of their training underwear. Okay. If they still believe that, I will say that. I know that'll offend and piss a lot of people off, but like I said, well,
2: then why did you ask me why people get offended and pissed off? It seems like you've got it figured out.
3: (laughs) Well, again, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm, I'm not I'm not going to apologize for saying what I really want to say. Why not? Why I'm wouldn't
2: you apologize for that? For calling well, me stupid? Because I,
3: I do. I I feel people. I feel like I feel like people out there. Look, and I and this is the frustration I'm getting. I talk to a lot of people who will share with things with me in private, you know. And I get it, man. I get it. I get that people have a lot to lose, you know, and and people care about their careers and things like that. But they'll share these things with me in private that can obviously resonate to a lot of people, but they're not willing to share it in public. They don't want people to hear what they think. Why? That's my question. I'm like, why? Well, be- why do because you not do hear it?
2: They, they don't want that social retribution that'll come. So is that being stupid or is it being smart?
3: I don't know. I think it's not being authentic. <sighs> why not? Because it's a lie. So 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 listen. I got to tell you right now, Glenn. One of the one of the things, one of the smartest things that Jordan Peterson did say that I can rally behind mm-hmm. is he said, when you have something to say, silence is a lie. I I love that. It's probably one of the biggest consciousness raisers that I've heard. Okay. And I know you've you've heard me say this before like what does that mean, right? Well, that's that's I just gave you an antidote That is something i never thought about but you know what it hit me to the core it hit me to the core because i'm like i get it i understand it i have been holding these feelings in for so long mm. i've been lying to myself and i just i guess to some degree i feel like i just feel liberated i feel like my cage has has absolutely just withered away mm-hmm. and 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 i'm at, i'm at the point now where i'm like look man i get this life this life is a gift Okay, it's a gift for me, and I'm on this spiritual journey. And if if someone asks me a point blank question, I, I've, I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say, well, no, no. I'm gonna say, hell yeah. Why do you believe that? And if you can if you can give me a conversation or give me some sort of a you know explanation to make me feel otherwise, I'll listen to you. Well, but I'm not gonna apologize for what I gotta say.
2: But but I but I think that calling someone stupid because they believe something that you think that belief is stupid. You think the idea is stupid, but you're saying that the person is stupid. You know, there's that, that, that can be quite uh, vicious and violent.
3: Actually, I, I'm, I'm going to agree with you. With, I'm, I'm going to agree with you on that. You're, and you're right. I think the idea, you know, is so, so you, like if, if, yeah, if, right.
2: if you're, if you're taking, um, you know, Lot's wife example of turning into a pillar of salt and, and you ask somebody, why do you believe that? Listen. Yeah. Because they're going to have good reasons to why they believe it.
3: What if they say that because the Bible said so? Don't you think that's pretty stupid?
2: No, I don't think it's stupid. So, so why do you believe in the Bible? Why do you believe what the Bible says? And you, why is this important to you? Why is it important for you to take this? And, and maybe they haven't spent a lot of time talking or thinking about it because it's not really that important to them because the things that are right. important to them are the relationships that they have with people, the way that they're living their life and they don't want to do anything to disrupt that. And so does the
3: word What does the word stupid mean?
2: What does it mean stupid?
3: I I don't have a dictionary in front of me, but, I'd, but I But again, I I this just is think...
2: one of those things if you're calling somebody stupid, what does it mean to them to be called stupid? You know, I, I we're, sure. we're not going to be able to answer that for every single person as to what that, that means. But if, I, if they're I, getting I, upset and they're getting offended because you're calling them stupid, and it's going to shut down the conversation. It's going to shut down the the lines of communication, and you're doing that
3: in the name of. And whose of, fault is that? If it, but who's But that's my. I guess that's what I'm saying. Whose fault is that if they decide to shut down the conversation? Theirs. So, so, that's,
2: so you're saying fault. Let, I, I, let's use the word responsibility. Who is responsible yeah. for shutting down? The, the conversation if they're the ones who shut it down they are. they are they are because it's because they don't want to take what they're considering to be abuse from you who's responsible right. for presenting Who for calling them stupid and saying i'm not going to apologize for that that's you right and that's your approach and and your approach right now if i understand what you were saying was i have been um i have been lying to myself i i have been so worried about what other people are going to feel for so long that I haven't said what I really feel. And I've been, that's been bottling up inside of me for so long. I'm really frustrated. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to say what I feel. And if you've got a problem with it, that's your problem. And, Mm -hmm. and this is, you're saying I'm doing this so that I can be authentic to me. Okay. So can you be authentic to yourself in ways that are also authentic to the part of you that cares about the other person? and cares about how the other person feels?
3: Do you care, um, yeah, do you care about te- how te- they feel? You know. By telling them truth. By telling them truth.
2: <laughs> but, it's, yeah, but, but it's not like, it, it's not like you, you have to call them stupid to, to, to call okay, them let's truth. Use,
3: I like this conversation. I didn't know it was gonna go this way, but I'm now, <laughs> no that. listen, I'm now very interested. Okay. I'm now very interested. So
2: before you weren't, Lou, is that what you're telling me? Now you're yeah. interested. <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, I I was very interested before, but now I'm like really intrigued even to the 10th degree because right. I'll tell you right now. I have there are certain things that I uh that I that I abide by when I parent. I have you know, I've I've got 7 children. Yeah. And my all my children will tell you this. They will not refute this because they just know. I've never lied to my children. When my children, you know, they're all involved in athletics. And when they've asked me point blank dad how did I do I'm not lying to them yeah I'm not gonna say Johnny man you did awesome buddy I mean holy crap man you were the best out there you didn't play once like you didn't do anything but man that was so good or man you completely woofed on that tackle but shit man you were the best you know look I, I don't know whether that's right or wrong but I will tell you, I've never lied to my children uh, and when they come and sure. ask me about things. I will tell them, I'll say, dude, you didn't do very good if we're going to measure it based off. Of, this is why they keep score. Okay. Right. This is why you got points. And I want to just tell you right now, my kids have told me, like, dad, I actually really appreciate the fact that you've told me straight up because you want to know something. Yeah. When you've given me a compliment. I know that I actually did something like I actually did something that was worth, you know, like being proud of. Yeah. And you weren't lying to me. You weren't just stroking my feelings. I think there's a danger in lying to people. I mean, just to protect their feelings. I think it's dangerous. Well,
2: I don't think that you have to lie to people to, to protect their feelings and I'm not advocating for that, but, but so, so let's take this situation where you and I are sitting in the stands and we're watching one of your kids play football or something like that. And I didn't play college football, so I don't have the experience that you have. I'm not looking at the same way that you are. Your kid comes up to us afterwards and they go, how, do you, how did you do? And I go, man, I was really impressed. I saw that you did this, 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 this. I'm being totally honest because yeah. from my perspective, I was really impressed with what they did. From your perspective, you're like, mm, you know what? You did this wrong. You did this
3: wrong. You, did, you know, like you got to do this. Who's right? no that's not that's not a good that's not a good uh that's not a good story but it's but but it's let me tell you why. but this is what i'm why. talking about with like perspective no, no, no. and fiction let's use a very specific thing <laughs> okay. let's use a very specific thing all right let's say we're watching the game i want to take you on your on your challenge right. so we're watching the game mm-hmm. it doesn't take a college athlete to know when somebody is running with the ball and they only have one person to stop them before they score that the person that didn't stop them missed a tackle. Yeah. That that wasn't a good thing. Sure. It doesn't take experience to know that. Yeah. So let's just use that example. Okay. Let's say my So son they're asking the
2: specifically about this one play where they missed a tackle.
3: Sure. Okay. Let's just use that. That one play. Okay. Okay. And and let's say the kid comes up and says, Dad, oh my gosh, man, I completely bombed it on that, man. What did you see? You know? What would you say?
2: I don't know, we would need to actually see it. but I, I like I like to be encouraging, and I don't want to be I don't want to be dishonest, but but you can't tell me that if they were standing there and they're squaring up their shoulders and they're getting in the right form or they're doing whatever they're taking the right approach, but then they they have a misstep and they do something that then screws up the whole thing, that a hundred percent of what they did was wrong. So I would oh, try yeah, to, not, I would try I'm, to find the percentage of what they did that was right, and I would mm-hmm. lead with that. And, yeah. and then I'd probably ask them, how do you think that you did? And then I would say, okay, I also saw this and this and this, you know, but yeah. but that's just an approach that's my style. And I'm not going to yeah, say that I, my I, style I, of doing that is better or worse. But, but listen to what years. you're talking
3: about. You're talking about style. You're talking about approach. Yeah. That's not what I'm talking about. But, I'm just talking about objective truth, like just telling the truth. But, in, but as you, you know?
2: deliver objective truth, you're doing it in a style.
3: What sure, style can, are you using? I, I, I don't. So Glenn, I don't I don't disagree with that. I, I I'm on board with you there. Yeah. I follow you there. I'm I'm on your camp. I do agree. I do agree that approach is important and I do believe that style is very important. Yeah. But I don't believe that just flat out, you know, telling people no. Like if if someone if someone asked me, dude, do you think I'm stupid for believing this? If I if that's how I believe it, I'm gonna say, Yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. Here's why. Yeah. Maybe you can help me understand. But this is why I think it is stupid to believe that yeah. I've never seen anybody else turn into a pillar of salt, man. Yeah. Right. No. Can you explain to me why you believe that? Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, it's, I'm with you. I'm totally with you. I'm with you on the style. I'm with you on the approach. Okay. But if, if I guess I'm taking your example, of your conversation with your dad. Yeah. And if the tables were flipped on me, I would probably say that like, like now, like because I'm like, why am I going to waste my time on your feelings here? If, if you ask me a direct question and you say that I'm, I'm going to say it. Yes, I do. I do think that because I don't understand the profundity of why anybody would believe that. I don't understand that.
2: Yeah. Well, so, so I think we, we went on this train of conversation because you asked me why people get offended when you say that there's <laughs> no God, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and it's, the, the The answer that I gave you to that question is because they're personally attached to their beliefs and yeah. when when those things are challenged then you've got that amygdala fight or flight response that just happens because that's how we were that's how we've evolved that whenever there's a threat whenever there's a challenge we're going to dig in our heels and we're going to fight or flight and God is one of those things from for a lot of people not for everybody you've got people who are kind of detached from their Faith in, in God and can have a, 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 a detached conversation about it. But a lot of people are really attached to these things, their personal identity. Yeah. So, I, I, I mean, I don't want anybody, to, I don't want to be looked at as being an advocate for um, lying or not being genuine or honest or anything like that, you know? Um, I, it's just like recognizing hey, this is, this is my perspective, this is what I saw. And if you really think that people are stupid and you want to tell them that, by all means, do it. But but if if you're surprised then that they don't like you very much afterwards because you called them stupid or that they had some kind of an adverse reaction to that, and you're like, I'm not responsible for your your stupidness. <laughs> you're, <not like laughs> you, you're the one. You're being even more stupid now. You keep being stupid. That's you. I mean, I just no, don't know that that's the way to win friends and influence people.
3: You're right. You're right. And and I'm, you know, I'm kind of being a contrarian here too, because just for the sake of having a conversation, but a lot of it too, I'm, you know, I'm, I I do, I, 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 am again, I'm with you on that camp. I'm not a, I'm not a guy that likes to rip people down. I don't even like to advocate for people to leave their religion. And I've said this on other shows in the past. Mm. I actually do believe religion is useful. And I, again, I'll say it again to a point to a point (laughs) There is a point where 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 religion does become, and again, this is this could be for a whole nother p- podcast. I do believe that religion does tend to get a little muddy and murky, and even dangerous um, if you adhere to it, especially um, literally. You know, if that religion is based on holy writ, that almost all monotheisms derive from. I I I believe fundamentally that there's a lot of danger in believing you know, some of the things in them when you're becoming an adult, but I do believe that it's perfectly fine, you know, for kids <laughs> to believe it. And, you know, just as just as I won't lie to my kids about Santa Claus when they were little, I couldn't do that, man. You know, I'm here telling you that if I have a conversation with an adult and they ask me a question, I'm going to tell them straight up, but I wouldn't do that to my kids. You know what? I'm, I'm not going to take the light out of my kids when they were little to, you know, but when I start to sense that they are forming some independence and they can kind of process things a little bit, you know, this, you just kind of inch a few more big grown-up things to talk about with them. Sure. You know, you don't, yeah. you don't throw the whole, um, you know, kit and caboodle at them right at first. You, you just kind of inch their way through. But anyway, I know, I, I know that some of the things that I say and some of the claims that I make are not very popular and people don't like to hear them, but I just don't have a filter. I don't know how to, I don't know how to, you know, put it nicely. You know, put it lightly for people. I just hope that people understand that. You know, I I don't waste time anymore, man. That's just a decision that I've made. So you know what I just heard you say? (laughs) What's that?
2: I don't have a filter. I don't have a way to make things feel nice to people. I don't waste time anymore. That that to me says that making like taking the time to make people feel better about what you're saying is wasting time. Sure, I can buy that. Yeah, and that's that surprises me because like when i and I don't know you well, but you seem like you have a very big heart, you seem like you really, really care, like especially about I, your kids. I think I do but you care about your friends, you care about your family, and so it, it surprises me to hear you say anything that would seem like it, it's a waste of time to care about well, how you present yourself to them in a way that would ruffle their feathers like i I totally yeah. get what you're saying. You're not responsible for how they feel,
3: you're not yeah. And I think I think it's totally fair that you've taken what I've said and, and you've you've gained that perspective from it. If you were to take that little snippet, that sound bite mm. and play it independently, oh yeah, I can see how a lot of people are like, man, Lou's an asshole. <laughs> you know. But but honestly, that, that really isn't I mean, if it came out that way, it, it came out that way, but that's not truly representative of how I feel. Yeah. I mean, I guess when I said I don't want to waste my time, I'm actually talking about just time in general. I don't like to mince words. I don't like to mince words, but it don't mistake that by also not being sensitive to people's feelings. I can I can be very direct with you. And I mean if you ask me a straight up question, I'm not gonna lie to you, but I'm but I'm also gonna be very sensitive to you. You know, I'm not, you know, like maybe I can back it up with something like saying, Look, I'm not I don't want you to leave your faith. I'm just sharing with you why I left mine and why I just don't I feel like it's silly now. This is why I feel like it is. You know, so like I said, I mean, maybe it's a, maybe it's a skill that I'll, you know, I'll I'll hone and get better at, but you know, at at this point I, I I feel like it's a skill that I've been
2: honing and um, like over, over the years. Um, And um, yeah, it, 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 it is a skill and it takes, it takes effort and you know, I'm not going to say I'm good at it. I'm not going to say that I even like, I'm aware (laughs) of it all the time, but, but I've, I got to a point where I didn't feel comfortable even holding in my mind the thought that somebody else is stupid. Like that, that just, it didn't seem fair. Like, and, and I knew too much. I, I've, I've studied the way that tradition impacts people's sense of identity, both as individuals and as groups, how meaningful that is to them. And I know that everybody, you know, like I've, I've, I've said this, I don't remember if I said this last time we talked or not, but that, that everybody is born into this world, innocent. They're, they're born as a blank yeah. slate. And then from, from day one, they, they start getting misguided by people around them, parents, adults, friends who think they know what's going on, but they don't really know what's going on. And they said, this is the way to be. If you want love, this is the way to be, to show love. This is the way to do it. And we start going our different ways and we have all these different experiences. So we, we meet each other as adults and we're all these misguided, innocent kids at our core. I, I, I want to find where I'm innocent and they're innocent and like work through all of those misguided misconceptions that we have. And I can't control how you do that or not. I can only control if I'm willing to do that in myself. And so many times I'm having conversations with people who don't even know what the heck I'm talking about when I'm saying things like this, but But like, I know, I I know for me, and I don't, I don't want to hold people in my mind as if they're stupid because they believe these stories that can't possibly be true. Like I, and, and like I said, you haven't, you haven't listened to the reality of fictions in that chapter. The bather says, Oh, well, let's talk about flat earthers for a minute because there's objective (laughs) truth. And quad's like, you're not going to like what I have to say about this. But, right. but basically there are legitimate reasons why flat earthers believe what they believe. And you may not like it. You may not agree with it. It might not be consistent with the way that physics tells us that the world is, but there are legitimate reasons for them believing what they're believing. And it's not that they're stupid. Yeah. And, and probably the, the most influential book on me in, in that regards was Jonathan Haidt, The Righteous Mind, Why Good People Are Divided by Politics and Religion and reading that and and the research that he did the way that he showed how a moral framework arises in an individual person based on their interactions with the community around them and that there's so much in that book I would highly recommend The The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt um, because I I just didn't want to be this person anymore that looked at somebody for drinking coffee and thought oh Mm, they'd be a good person, except that they've got two earrings instead of one, or they've got tattoos, or that you know, like I, I, I was very, very judgmental, yeah. and I just didn't want to be that way anymore. Anyway. I still don't want to be that way, and it's not like I'm able to flip this switch and it doesn't happen anymore. Like I still have those thoughts. It's like, can I respond to my own thoughts in a different way so that I do have a filter and I can develop that filter and grow that filter and have that filter match more how I really want to, to be rather than this other way that I am. And I'm like, I don't like that.
3: Yeah. 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 You know, one day, one day I'm going to be as a, a genteel like, like you.
2: Gentile. As we're Gentiles. Gentile? Yeah. Is Gentile? <laughs> Gentiles. <laughs>
3: Well, I know G- is genteel a is a much better word than a gentile. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: genteel,
3: meaning you're refined, yeah. you know. Yeah. I, 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 one 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 day I'll be as refined as you are. Um, but uh, as we're having this conversation, I can see I can see your your evolution into the Glenn Oslin that you are today. I've listened to some to some of your earlier shows, and <laughs> I, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> And I can see that there was a more youthful side of you that sure. uh, was, was kind of like me, oh, sure. kind of gung-ho and stepping in waters and, you know, just dipping, just jumping right in. And you felt like you had, you know, you've, you had something to prove and you want to go out there and just, you know, stick it to the world. And oh, say, yeah. this stick is it I to I Thomas
2: S. Monson and stick it to Boyd <laughs> K. Packer. And yeah, like, like right. just skewering those people. Absolutely. Yeah.
3: Yeah. No, I, I can see the difference though. I can see the evolution. You can see the growth. I can see it. Um, but I can tell you, as I sit here and listen to you talk about this, I'm, and I'm sitting here thinking to myself, well, what are some of the things that I know that I can feel confident with that's in scripture that if someone believes I can still say that they're stupid (laughs) because I am, I'm saying here think of that. And I keep going back to these stories. And again, we don't, I'm I'm just saying that if you know, there's, there's a, there's a scripture in Luke, I can't remember exactly what it, what, what it is and but it talks about um, it's during the last supper and Christ is asking him, you know, which of us is going to make it to the kingdom. Right. And Jesus turns to him and says, if you don't hate your father, your mother, you know, and your sister and your brother, you cannot be my disciple. You know, in, in other words, he's telling these, he's telling him that your, your love for me should be greater than everyone. Okay. Now, you can you can sure you can rule that off to interpretation but if 10 people in the room agree that that's what that scripture is trying to say that that scripture is a allegory for you know for showing your love to deity then that means you would in essence have to love him more than your wife and your children and things like that i think i can confidently say that that is stupid doctrine that is stupid and 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 again, I can look at that and say, if you believe that, I'm going to tell it to your face. It is stupid to believe that. It is stupid to believe that you need to believe and, and you know, give all your faith into this and love this imagined reality more than your wife and your kids. Yeah. I can say that and be and say it completely unapologetic. And that's and again, that's again, I, I, get, I guess that's just the way I'm viewing things right now. And if and if people continue to because I've asked somebody, I'm not going to say it here on air but I've asked a loved one straight up I said is this the kind of love that you have for Jesus do you love him more than your wife and your own children he says yes I said you're stupid and I told him that straight up you know I said you're stupid why would you do that you know I mean if I mean you you mean to tell me that if you had a dream tonight and you're sure that it was Jesus and, you're, and, you're, and Jesus appeared to you in a dream and in a vision and said, hey, I need you to pack up your stuff, leave your wife and kids, meet me at this mountaintop, and, and by the way, pack some bedding and some food because you'll be gone for the next 45 days. I, I need to teach you some things of how to get closer to me. You would leave your wife and kids for that? You know, And again, we had this conversation and he said that and I said, I'm sorry, man, but that's stupid. <laughs> Because I will tell you right now that if I had a vision from God that required me to prove my love to him, and if he really was a God, okay, let's say I just had this surreal moment and God appeared to me and said, Lou, I need you to get up tomorrow. I'm going to show you the wonders of the world. I need you to leave your wife and kids. You may not ever return. I'll look right at him and I'll say, fuck off. That's what I would say. That's not that's not the type of God that I would want to worship. Mm-hmm. I know that's brash. I know' it's, I know it's hard to hear. I know a lot of people that will that, that, listen to this will will find that to be very ugly and and I'm sorry, but if that's the God that you want to worship, then that's probably not the kind of friend that I want you to, to be with. I don't want to be a friend. you know. I don't want to be friends with people like that that would that would completely do that. That would, that would show that kind of servility, you know, like Abraham did. Mm-hmm. That, that was the pattern. That was the pattern that was set up in scriptures. Take your son Isaac up to this mountain, stick a knife in him, okay? That's the only way that I can, you know, that you can prove your love to me. That's horrible. That's not the kind of God that I want to worship. And that's the kind of God that's been, you know, defined in those scriptures. Sorry, that was another tangent, but it was kind of. Do you want me to comment on it? Yes, please.
2: Well, so I, I'm the the person that you had this conversation with. It, it, that that was actually the way that the conversation went. You asked them that yeah. if they had that dream, and Jesus told them to leave. Um. So so that's so
3: uh, it was almost verbatim. So does yeah. does
2: that mean then that you don't want to be friends with this person anymore?
3: Probably, yeah. Probably.
2: Um. And is it just because of that one thing, or are there other other things where you don't want to be friends with them?
3: They, well, no, I, I love this person dearly, but he looked me in the eye and told me that he would leave his wife and kids to go follow a vision.
2: Yeah. But what if, and, what if that actually happened and, and he really did have that vision and he actually had to make that decision in real life and, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, cause that's a very different context than speculating about it in a conversation with you. Like maybe if it really pushed, came to shove, he would doubt now, okay. Was this dream real? Was that really Jesus or was it not? Because I love my wife, I love my kids. I may not actually do it. Like, m- maybe in, in the heat of the moment, like he's arguing something and you're arguing something and he's taking this position because what he's really saying to you is, I- I'm very confident in my faith, Lou. And you're giving them this hypothetical, well, what if this? and he's like yeah i'm confident in my faith i'm confident in my faith and that's what he's telling you the whole time yeah and it's and and that's not really what he would do in real life so this again could be one of these fictions you know like you've created this hypothetical what would you do in this case you don't really know what he would do if that happens and so if if you're saying i don't i don't want to interact with you i don't want to be friends with you anymore because of the way that you responded to this hypothetical question i mean that that's that's your choice to make on things but it's
3: because i think well because i think it sets a precedence and i think it's a dangerous precedent. it it might
2: it might be but i i guess what i would ask is is what what you really want to see is does this person care about his wife and care about his family more than he cares about i don't know and and because because mormonism ties those things together so closely like to hypothetically go okay what if jesus asked you to to leave them what if what if he did to you what god did to uh, Abraham and, you know, like killing Isaac, well, how would you respond to that kind of thing? You know, right. it's, it's these hypotheticals that you've been trained since you were a kid to go, Oh no, I'm going to side with God. I'm going to side with God. That's the right answer here. But if push came to shove, would they really do that? Where, where do you see in their life, how they interact towards their, their wife and their family? Are they loving are they? Oh, caring? Yeah. No,
3: I'm. I'm very confident that yeah. this person that I had a conversation with, he is. He is. Yeah. The, he's a class act. Father loves his wife and kids. And
2: so, I, I guess and, I would just say, with with, with confirmation bias, if if <laughs> if you've kind of made up your mind and you're settled on this fact that religion is dangerous and it's this poison pill, and anybody who swallows it. They're, they're horrible. <laughs> You're going to start well, it saying makes that. Do,
3: it, it makes them do very stupid things. Is it the religion that, that, that makes it, them do that? I think so, yeah.
2: Is it? I, I, don't, I don't think it is. I think, I think the religion provides a, a framework and it provides a context, but I think there's a lot of motivating factors that go into why people do what they do.
3: And You don't think it was religion that all these pioneers followed Joseph Smith and followed Brigham Young and died in their youth and died in old age in the plains i mean religion is what driven drove those people out of their homes
2: you could call it life it was life that did that to them it was the way that they inter. it was the families that they were a part of it was the way that they interacted in their culture it was the attack that they were under from people around them and thinking that they would have that they were being led by god i mean like like to separate it and say there's there's this life that you are living and then there's religion I think that's not true to what their actual experience was, yeah. you know, it, that, that, that was just their, their life. So I don't, I mean, I, I just, I just think that there are more charitable views to um, when, when, when you're not on the witch hunt to take out religion, <laughs> um, then you can start looking at, at the reasons that people make the decisions that they make from more of a a broad perspective, I guess. I don't know. I, 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 don't disagree with you that, that religion and faith um, can lead to some real horrible things like mountain Meadows massacre. And all, I mean, all, all kinds of stuff that just like people yeah. being inhuman, like the prop eight stuff several years ago, you know, yeah. the policy against, you know, like ostracizing the children of gay more. I and like, that's just absolutely yeah. ridiculous and harmful. Ridiculous. And, yeah. you know, and thank goodness they, they had to, Eat crow and and reverse that policy. I mean, that was kind of a yeah. big deal for the church to do that and to kind of hush, hush, hush to do it. But yeah, um, yeah so I, I I don't disagree that there's these dangerous things, but I I, I guess in the, in the evolution of Glenn where I've come to is really how is it that I'm how is it that I'm going to respond in any situation that I'm in, and I want and and this is why I've asked you before, like when you talk about raising your consciousness, what do you mean? For me, raising consciousness means I want to be aware of what's going on around me. And I always want to respond from a place of love, uh, unconditional love, if I possibly can. And most of the time I'm in grief, I'm responding from grief or I'm responding from pride. I I get stuck in pride a lot. Um, There's times where I'm stuck in anger. Uh, There's times where I'm stuck in apathy. There's all kinds of like these things that keep me from seeing the reasons why I should be loving towards somebody else or give them a more charitable uh, response because I'd rather feel like I'm a victim or this, you know, like for, for, so, so for me, it's become like this very, very personal thing on how I, I respond. And, and that, that's, that's why I wrote the book bathing with God in in the first place. That that's what most of those converse those imaginary conversations with quad are about and trying to unpack that. How can, how can I strip away those fictions that I'm telling myself that keep me from being in a place of, unconditional love in the way that I see all of these brothers and sisters around me, because even though people are misguided in so many different ways at the core, we all share in common this innocence. And like you said, life is a gift and it's a gift for everybody. And, and, you know, like if you're saying that religion is bad because it's dangerous, one of the most dangerous things it did to me was make me judgmental was make me yeah. think that I'm better than other people because I believe the truth and they don't. So yeah. I'm not going to feel comfortable jumping to a different paradigm where I'm doing exactly the same thing.
3: Exactly the same thing. Yeah. You know what? Glenn, you you are you're wise and you are also you got a heart I of gold. Bring
2: bring me a baby, and I'll say, "Let's cut it in half, man." And you know, you take what it like it'd be the old <laughs> Solomon thing there. Like, uh, it's funny because like when I heard that yeah. story as a kid, I'm like, I want to be wise. I want to be solid <laughs> like that. So
3: <laughs> that you, was, you're believing
2: yeah. the fiction that I'm wise, and I'll, I'll yeah. I won't disabuse you of that fiction. I appreciate no, you that. are.
3: You are. You've been you've been a great mentor for me, even though you probably don't consider yourself a mentor for me. But I I've watched you. I've listened to a lot of your podcasts. I've seen sort of the the evolutionary. Um, path that you've taken to where you are now, and um, I, I, I absolutely admire you, oh, and well, and I you. love what you're doing. I'm a big fan, and I think you've just segued into my final question that I like to right. to ask all my all my uh, my guests. If this podcast can penetrate every home mm-hmm. in the world, and everyone could listen to what you have to say, mm-hmm. what is your message to the people?
2: Love everyone. Love everyone. Don't, don't, don't give yourselves any reason not to
3: love it. What would quad say?
2: God <laughs> would say, yes, <laughs> love everyone. <laughs> <laughs> no quad would <laughs> say, God, quad would say, start by loving yourself.
3: Ah, uh, okay. I thought quad would say that's exactly what I thought you'd say. Glenn. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: I knew that's what you would say. Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Glenn, my friend, thank you so much for taking some time. I know I, I took too much of your time, but I, you're very gracious to spend this kind of time with me. I look forward to more conversation. Absolutely. Anytime. I, I, I apologize. I wish I could have made it more positive for you because I know that's that's your life endeavor. But it just took a turn. It took a turn. I loved for it. Me,
2: and this was great.
3: And, yeah. Was I, took fantastic. A turn. I, wasn't ex- I wasn't expecting to go down. I almost felt like I was this angry ogre towards the end. And I'm like, <laughs> And I had this ax to grind and I had to stick it to the world and I just felt like a juvenile. I'm like, Oh my gosh. You know? So
1: <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I appreciate it.
3: Well,
2: like, like I said, like I, when, when you, you, you just left the church in March, man, you're, you're yeah. a baby. <laughs> yeah. And I don't That's mean true. that in like a pejorative way at all. Like, like know. this is a hard thing. This is a very, very hard thing to go. You know what? I'm going to stand up to all of the social pressure here and I'm going to do what I think is right. And there, it's painful. It's painful. And I can see that, that pain in you. And I think you're dealing with it the best that you can. And, you know, I, I believe in your heart. And you're, you're going to be absolutely fine with it. But I get the pain. I, I, get, it. I yeah. get it. So. Well, I get it.
3: Well, I wish you the best, my friend. And I'm going to be watching you closely. So, all right. Thanks, Lou. All right, brother. Take care. care.
1: Put down the weapons that you use against yourself you don't need them anymore lay down the weapons that you use against the world we don't need another war put down the weapons that you use against yourself you don't hi this is hillary Matthew ryan carol Keith. Ashley
2: and i like to play bingo online while listening to infants on thrones
1: you can comment on this episode on the website infantsonthrones.com and
3: if you really like what you hear Give the quorum a
1: five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? My worst crime is an inside job. Dark thoughts taking over like an inside mob. I tune into the scene between the eyes and take a breath. Thank you for listening to Infants on front. Infants I sit still and watch the thoughts flow past me. Never mind the future, never mind what the past be. I like to jump and let the universe catch me. Three, four, watch the beauty blow past me. I keep my pockets light, destination in sight. Keep my actions elevated to compassionate height. I'm walking past the fight, laying down, on sudden the night, choosing love